Chapter Thirty of the Yellow House by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Master of Colville Hall. I believe that I took off my clothes and made some pretense of going to bed, but in my memory those long hours between the time when I left my father in the study and the dawn seems like one interminable nightmare. Yet towards morning I must have slept for my room was full of sunlight when a soft knocking at the door awakened me our trim little housemaid entered with a note the address was in my father's handwriting i sat up in bed and tore open the envelope eagerly something seemed to tell me even before i glanced at its contents that the thing i dreaded was coming to pass this is what i read forgive me child if i have left you with only a written farewell the little strength i have left i have need of and i shrank from seeing you again lest the sorrow of it should sap my purpose should make me weak when i need to be strong the girl will tell her story and at the best my career of usefulness here is over so i leave eastminster this morning forever i have written to alice and to the bishop to him i have sent a brief memoir of my life i do not think that he will be a stern judge especially as the culprit stands already with one foot in the grave and now child i have a final confession to make to you for many years there has been a side to my life of which you and alice have been ignorant even now i am not going to tell you about it the time is too short for me to enter thoroughly into my motives and into the gradual development of what was at first only a very small thing but of this i am anxious to assure you it is not a disgraceful side it is not anything of which i am ashamed although there have been potent reasons for keeping all record of it within my own breast had i known to what it was destined to grow i should have acted differently from the commencement but of that it is purposeless now to speak the little remnant of life which is still mine i have dedicated to it even if my career here were not so clearly over my conscience tells me that i am doing right in abandoning it it is possible that we may never meet again farewell if what you hinted at last night comes really to pass it is good bruce deville has been no friend of mine but he is as worthy of you as any man could be and above all remember this my fervent prayer forgive me the wrong which i have done you and the trouble which i have brought into your life think of me if you can only as your most affectionate father horace folletto when i had finished my father's letter i dressed in haste there was no doubt in my mind as to where he had gone. I would follow him at once. I would be by his side wherever he was and in whatever condition when the end came. I rang for a timetable and looked out the morning trains for London. Then Alice knocked at my door and came to me with white scared face and an open letter in her hand. She found me all ready to start do you understand it what does it mean kate she asked fearfully i do not know i answered 
he has gone to london and he is not fit to leave his bed i am going to follow him but you do not know whereabouts to look you will never find him i must trust to fate i answered desperately somehow or other i shall find him good-bye i have only a few minutes to catch the train she came to the door with me and you i asked upon the step i shall remain here she answered firmly i shall not leave until it is perfectly certain that this is not all some hideous mistake i can't realize it kate yes i cried lingering impatiently upon the step do you think that he is mad i shook my head i am certain that he is not i answered i will write to you perhaps to-night i may have news i walked across the close where as yet not a soul was stirring the ground beneath my feet was hard with a white frost and the air was keen and bright the sunlight was flashing upon the cathedral windows the hoar-covered ivy front of the deanery gleamed like silver and a little group of tame pigeons lit at my feet and scarcely troubled to get out of the way of my hasty footsteps a magnificent serenity reigned over the little place it seemed as though the touch of tragedy could scarcely penetrate here yet as i turned into the main street of the still sleeping town my heart gave a great leap and then died away within me a few yards ahead was the familiar fur-coated little figure also wending her way towards the station she turned round at the ringing sound of my footsteps and her lips parted in a dark malicious smile she waited for me and then walked on by my side he has a two hours start she said so far as you are concerned that means you will not find him but with me it is different i found out his flight in time to wire london at st pancras a detective will meet the train he will be followed wherever he goes and word will be sent to me Tonight he will be in prison. Canon Folletto, you know, your father, in prison. I wonder, will the wedding be postponed, eh? She peered up into my face. I kept my eyes steadily fixed upon the end of the street where the station was and ground my teeth together. The only notice I took of her was to increase my pace so that she could scarcely keep up with me. I could hear her breath coming sharply as she half walked, half ran along at my side. Then at last, as we came in sight of the station, my heart gave a great leap and a little exclamation of joy broke upon my lips. A man was standing under the portico with his face turned towards us. It was Bruce Deville. She, too, gave vent to a little exclamation which sounded almost like a moan. For the first time I glanced into her face. Her lips were quivering. Her dark eyes, suddenly dim, were soft with despair. She caught at my arm and commenced talking rapidly in spasmodic little gasps. Her tone was no longer threatening. There is a chance for you, she cried. You can save your father. You could take him away, to Italy, to the south of France. He would recover. You would never have anything to fear from me again. I should be your friend. I shook my head. It is too late, I said. You had your chance. I did what you asked. 
she shrank back as though i had stabbed her it is not too late she said feverishly make it the test of his love it will not be forever i am not strong i may not live more than a year or two let me have him for that time it is to save your father pray to him he will consent he does not dislike me but mon dieu i will not live without him oh if you knew what it was to love i shook my head sorrowfully was it unnatural that i should pity her even though she was my father's persecutor before i could speak to her bruce was by our side he had come a few steps to meet us he held my hands tightly i felt sure that you would be coming by this train he said i have the tickets and you i asked i am coming with you of course he answered turning round and walking by my side olive bernenstein was watching him eagerly he had not taken the slightest notice of her a faint flush which had stolen into her face faded slowly away she became deadly white she moved apart and entered the booking office as she stood taking her ticket i caught a backward glance from her dark eyes which made me shiver why don't you speak to her i whispered why should i he answered coolly she is doing her utmost to bring ruin upon you she is our enemy not yours if yours mine he declared smiling down upon me isn't that so even now she is willing to make terms i said slowly with my eyes fixed upon the approaching train she is willing well to spare us if well if you will give me up he laughed mockingly i thought that was all over and done with he protested no one but a couple of girls could have hatched such a plot i presumed that you were not going to make any further suggestions of the sort seriously i have never been quite sure whether i had intended to or not at any rate his words and expression then convinced me of the utter hopelessness of such an attempt the train drew up and he placed me in an empty carriage he spoke to the guard and then followed me in the door was locked olive bernstein walked slowly by and looked into our compartment i believe she had meant to travel to london with us but if so her design was frustrated for the present at any rate we were safe from her upon our arrival we took a ransom and drove straight to victoria street my mother was out we waited impatiently for several hours she did not return till dusk then i told her everything as she listened to me her face grew white and anxious you know him better than any one else in the world i cried you alone can solve the mystery of his second life in this letter he speaks of it whatever it may be he has gone back to it now i want to find him i must find him can't you suggest something that may help me if you were not in his whole confidence at least you must have some idea about it she shook her head sadly and doubtfully i only knew she said that there was a second life i knew that it was there but i had no knowledge of it if i could help you i would not hesitate for a single moment 
then like an inspiration there flashed into my mind the thought of that man's face whom i had met in the east end of this great city they had persuaded me into a sort of half-belief that i had been mistaken they were wrong and i had been right i remembered his strange apparel and his stern avoidance of me i had no more doubts somewhere in those regions lay that second life of his i sprang to my feet i know where he is i cried come they both followed me from the house and at my bidding bruce called for a cab on the way i told them what had become of my conviction when i had finished my mother looked up thoughtfully i do not know she said of course it may be no good but let us try colville hall it is quite close to the place where you say you saw him colville hall i repeated what sort of place is that the name sounds familiar you will see for yourself she answered it is close here i will tell the man to stop we were in the thick of the east end when the cab pulled up in front of a large square building brilliantly illuminated great placards were posted upon the walls and a constant stream of men and women were passing through the wide open doors bruce elbowed away for us through the crowd and we found ourselves at last wedged in amongst them irresistibly carried along into the interior of the great hall we passed the threshold in a minute or two then we paused to take breath i looked around me with a throb of eager curiosity it was a wonderful sight the room was packed with a huge audience mostly of men and boys nearly all had pipes in their mouths and the atmosphere of the place was blue with smoke on a raised platform at the further end several men were sitting also smoking and then with a sudden swift shock of surprise i realized that our search was indeed over one of them was my father coarsely and poorly dressed and holding between his fingers a small briar pipe notwithstanding the motley assemblage the silence in the hall was intense there were very few women there and they as well as the men appeared to be of the lowest order their faces were all turned expectantly towards the platform one or two of them were whispering amongst themselves but my father's voice he had risen to his feet now sounded clear and distinct above the faint murmuring we too held our breath my friends he said quietly i am glad to see so many of you here to-night i have come a long way to have my last talk with you partings are always sad things and i shall feel very strange when i leave this hall to-night to know that in all human probability i shall never set foot in it again but our ways are made for us and all that we can do is to accept them cheerfully to-night my friends it is for us to say farewell something of the sort seemed to have been expected yet there were a good many concerned and startled faces a little half protesting half kindly murmur of negation gar own you're not a-going to leave us governor 
my father shook his head smiling faintly notwithstanding his rough attire the delicacy of his figure and the statuesque beauty of his calm pale face were distinctly noticeable with an irresistible effort of memory i seemed to see once more the great cathedral with its dim solemn hush the shadows around the pillars and the brilliantly lit chancel a little oasis of light shining through the gloom the perfume of the flowers and the soft throbbing music of the great organ seemed to be floating about on the thick noxious air then my father his hand pressed to his side and his face soft with a wonderful tenderness commenced his farewell address to these strange-looking people very soon i had forgotten where i was my eyes were wet with tears and my heart was aching with a new pain the gentle kindly eloquence the wan face with its irresistible sweet smile so human so marvelously sympathetic was a revelation to me it was a farewell to a people with whom he must have brought into vivid and personal communion a message of farewell too to others of them who were not there it was a sermon did they think of it as a sermon i wonder to the like of which i had certainly never listened before which seemed to tell between the lines as though with a definite purpose the story of his own sorrows and his own sins in that great hall there was no sound save those slow words vibrating with nervous force which seemed each one of them to leave him palpably the weaker some let their pipes go out others smoked solidly on with their faces steadfastly fixed upon that thin swaying figure the secret of his long struggle with them and his tardy victory seemed to become revealed to us in their attitude towards him and their reverent silence one forgot all about their unwashed faces and miserable attire the foul tobacco smoke and the hard unsexed looking women who listened with bowed heads as though ashamed to display a very unusual emotion one remembered only that the place was holy the words of farewell were spoken at last he did not openly speak of death yet i doubt whether there was one of them who did not divine it he stood upon the little platform holding out his hands towards them and they left their places in orderly fashion yet jealously eager to be amongst the first to clasp them and somehow we three felt that it was no place for us and we made our way out again on to the pavement my mother and i looked at one another with wet eyes at last then i murmured we know his secret would to god that we had known before it is wonderful my mother answered that he has escaped recognition there has been so much written about this place lately only last week i was asked to come here every one has been talking about the marvelous influence he has gained over these people we waited there for him in little groups the congregation came slowly out and dispersed the lights in the main body of the building were extinguished still he did not come 
we were on the point of seeking for a side entrance when a man came hurriedly out of the darkened building and commenced running up the street something seemed to tell me the truth that man has gone for a doctor i cried see he has stopped at the house with the red lamp he is ill i am going inside i tried the door it opened at my touch and we groped our way across the unlit room bare and desolate enough now with its rows of empty and disarranged chairs and with little clouds of dense tobacco smoke still hanging about in a little recess behind the platform we found my father one man a cabman he seemed to be was holding his hand another was supporting his head when he saw us he smiled faintly god is very good he murmured there was nothing i wished for but to see you once more i dropped on my knees by his side there was a mist before my eyes and a great lump in my throat you were worse i cried have they sent for a doctor it is the end he said softly it will all be over very soon now i am ready my work here was commenced it is not granted to any one to do more than to make commencements give give ah the flutter of a gown close at hand disturbed me i followed my father's eyes olive bernstein had glided from a dark corner underneath one of the galleries and was coming like a waif toward us i half rose to my feet in a fit of passionate anger bruce too had taken a hasty step towards her can't you see you are too late he whispered to her hoarsely go away from here it is no place for you too late she murmured softly and then the sound of heavy footsteps coming up the hall made us all look round and my heart died away within me two men in plain clothes were within a few yards of us a policeman followed close behind my father closed his eyes and from the look of horror in his face i knew how he had dreaded this thing one of the men advanced to olive bernstein and touched his hat i can hear her voice now i am sorry mr smith she said i have made a mistake this is not the man there was a dead silence for a minute or two and then a little murmur of voices which reached me as though from a great distance i heard the sound of their retreating footsteps i caught a glimpse of olive bernstein's tear-stained face as she bent for a moment over my father's prostrate figure i forgive she whispered farewell then she followed them out of the hall and we none of us saw her any more but there was a light in my father's face like the light which is kindled by a great joy one hand i kept the other my mother clasped he looked up at us and smiled this he said is happiness end of chapter 30 recording by sharon kilmer Rio Medina, Texas. End of the Yellow House by E. Phillips Oppenheim.